We're there in Genesis 35. Let's read verse 1 through 4. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God. Who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And throughout this chapter we will see that our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances. Jacob, he's already wrestled with God. He's already first seen Christ at the top of the ladder. Then in another moment in time afterwards, he wrestles with Jesus. Jesus blesses him. Jesus touches his hip, right? Now he's limping everywhere he goes. He can't run for his life. And now the Lord changes his name. He says, hey, what's your name? What are you known as? I'm known as a con man. I'm known as a liar. I'm known as always doing things in my flesh. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel. Now you are governed by God. And yet after that altercation, it seems like Jacob has forgotten who he is, right? Or it's some sort of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? Dr. Jacob, Mr. Israel, right? And he's fighting with this battle back and forth. And the Lord doesn't cut him off. The Lord doesn't say, I'm going to use someone else. The Lord in his still small voice, as it seems, would say, Jacob, have you lost enough yet? Has it costed you enough? Has your family, is your only daughter, have your boys given you enough hurt that now you would come home? That now you would come to the house of God, that you would dwell here with me and that you would make an altar? Hey, Jacob, do you remember when you were weak, you had nothing? I I revealed myself to you. I spoke to you. Do you remember those days, Jacob? And again, family, that should be working in us. Do we remember the day of small things in a sense, right? Those days when we first came to the Lord and we were blown away that the God of heaven and earth would want to speak to us. Do you remember those days when you were blown away at that? When you would play a Bible roulette, right? And you would turn to a random verse in child and be like, whoa, that's just for me, right? God spoke to me. Do you remember those days? And Jacob, instead of rising up with the Lord, he's been dwelling with the world. He's become worldly just like the rest of the world. His family has become worldly just like the rest of the world. Dr. Donald Barnhouse, he says, the only cure for worldliness is to separate from it. That's the only cure for worldliness. If you're starting to see, man, I'm just like the world. I talk just like him. I act just like him. The only cure for it. It's to separate from it. That is the only prescription. That is the only cure from it. We must rise above the worldliness of this world and be obedient to God. Again, God is so amazing. Bethel's altitude was higher than the surrounding area. So even if you were north of Bethel and you had to go south to go to Bethel, you would still say, hey, let us go up to Bethel. Same thing with Jerusalem. And when you go to Jerusalem, doesn't matter if you're coming from the south, from the north, from the east or the west, you go up to Jerusalem. As we're leaving the Dead Sea, you literally see the bus, right, starting to turn up because the altitude is higher than the surrounding area. And the same is true. We need to rise up into the holiness that God has us to walk in. It's not falling down to the dust and the grime of this world. No, no, no. The Lord wants you to rise up to the holiness that he has set apart for us, his beloved. Us, his bride. Right? I don't know if the wives here, maybe the husbands here, right? Are you just okay with your spouse just being as unhealthy as possible, right? Or maybe as unclean as possible. Honey, I took my one shower a week, right? That's good. That's okay, right? At least I'm not taking no showers a week or I took one shower a week. And that's how we treat the Lord sometimes, right? But Lord, I sprayed Axe. I'm okay, right? It's the same thing, right? Lord, I'm okay. I went to church. The rest of the week I stank. But Lord, I went to church. I'm okay, right? But we need to rise up. Rise up, not in our own flesh. Not rising up our noses to look down on people. But the bar for our lives, the holiness of our lives 
It needs to rise up. In John chapter 17, let's turn there. And again, if you're here, you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you say, I'm going to heaven and not hell when I die, this is an important scripture for us to be reminded of. John chapter 17. This is Jesus speaking. He's praying for his disciples. Jesus, he's praying for us. Again, it's incredible. And in verse 13 through 19, again, Christ says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you set me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Again, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus praying for us. And he says, hey, I have to be sanctified. The only way to be sanctified is by the truth. And the truth is the word of God. So again, family, we must be taking in the word of God to sanctify us, to set us apart. That again, God just doesn't want to pull all of us out of this planet God, he doesn't want us to just set up a commune here on the, on the property of church and now we have no dealings with the world. No, he wants us in the world but not of it. He wants us as lights in the darkness. That's his, that's his will. But we are to be sanctified. We're to be set apart. We're to be sacred. We are to be made free from sin. This is how we should be walking This is how we should be living, is being freed from sin, set apart from the rest of this world, right? You have different items in your houses that are set apart for certain uses. Having three kids in the house, there's certain cups that they're allowed to use and certain cups they're not allowed to use. Why? Because then they'll spill the whole cup on themselves or the glass is going to break on the floor. No, no, no. You get the sippy cup, right? You get the spill-proof cup. That has what's been set apart for you. And the Lord, he has us set apart from this world. We're not supposed to look like them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, another important portion of scripture for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. It tells us, verse 14 through 18, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, this is God's will for our lives. For us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Again, for little kids, they used to say yoked. What do you mean, right? Is it two egg yolks thrown at someone? If you're in the gym, does it mean to be yoked, right? To be big, to be jacked? What in the world is it talking about here, right? No, we don't think about this often, but it was a stick that held two animals together and they would walk in a straight line to clear the path for the field. I don't know if you've ever had the joy or curse of partaking in a three-legged race, right? And you tie your foot up with somebody else. Hopefully they don't have crutches. Hopefully they're healthy. Hopefully they're fine. And you're doing your best for both people to reach that finish line. The problem is that when you're a believer and they're an unbeliever, There's two different finish lines. And your finish line may be that way, but their finish line is the opposite way. Or their finish line is to the right or to the left. And now if you're trying to walk in life in this way, you're going to have a terrible time trying to reach that finish line. This is why it's so important for us in our relationships, in our marriages, especially in our romantical relationships, in our marriages, 
that were yoked together with believers. That what's important to them is also important to me. Sometimes we write it off, right? Yeah, opposites attract, right? I'm a carnivore. She's a vegetarian. It all works. I only eat meat. She only eats vegetables. It's all going to work out, right? She likes to wake up. I like to go to sleep. Everything's opposite. We think it's going to work, but it may not work. We need to make sure that we're together with believers, that they have the same goal in mind. They have the same plan. They have the same rules and regulations for their life in Christ. And now if we live according to this, God says, hey, I want to adopt you. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want to love on you. I want to care on you. But you have to separate from them. You have to be different from them. You have to not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. The problem is that many of us, we want to hold on to what's unclean, and we want to hold on to that ticket into heaven. We want to hold on to what's unclean and what's impure, and we say, Lord, will you still pour your blessing out on my life? Lord, I want to be in the sin. I want to do these things that are in the gray area. But Lord, why aren't you just pouring out your blessing on my life? We need to be careful. We need to really seek out the Lord and say, Lord, am I doing my best to be holy? Lord, am I doing my best to reach for the highest bar that I can? Am I walk with you and not saying, Lord, uh, how can I pass, right? Lord, what's the lowest grade I need to pass this class? That's the heart we should not have. But verse 2, we go back to Genesis 35. And again, Jacob, he's totally blown. His family has become a wreck. Verse 1, the Lord calls out to him again in his grace. His still small voice, hey, arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make an altar there. Remember, I appeared to you when you were running from the face of Esau, your brother. Verse 2, and Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. You see, family, Jacob led by example. But then he put the charge to his entire family. And his family, it wasn't 12 little boys. It wasn't 12 three-year-olds running around. No, grown men, grown men living in separate tents, servants and slaves that were married, that had their own families. It did not matter to Jacob or to the Lord for that matter how old they were or how long they lived with certain freedoms that led to their sins. Jacob was now purging their house and saying, this is the way we are going to live. And that's what the Lord has for us, especially as the leaders of the home, as the priests of the home. Joshua 24, if you want, you can turn there. It's a very uh, famous scripture for us. We like to have it in our houses, some of us, nice paintings, nice pictures, right? But do we live it out? Are we truly living it out? Joshua 24 Verse 13 and 14, it tells us, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them and you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, family, are we living in that way? Our kids, they're always going to say, but so-and-so gets to do that. Or so-and-so is doing this. I remember my dad. But so-and-so is not my son. Right? That's what my dad used to tell me. Right? So-and-so doesn't live in this house. So it doesn't matter what so-and-so is doing. This is the way we should live. This is the way we should live for our own homes. For the single people here. For the married. For the grandparents here. This is the way we should live. Not saying, hey, my coworker gets to do this. My coworkers get to do that. Shouldn't I be apart with them? I'm trying to be a missionary in the bar. I'm trying to be a missionary there at happy hour, trying to show them the true happy hour of Jesus, right? No, that's not the case. We need to be separate. We say, hey, I don't do those things because I have a different dad, man. My dad, he's, he's not down with those things. He's not okay with those sins. I'm reminded of my wife 
uh, Joel and Indiana, they got saved and they were growing with the Lord a little bit after Eva grew up and they kept getting more and more mature with the Lord. And Amanda's saying, but mom, dad, we were allowed to watch these movies when we were seven. How come we can't watch these movies now when we're nine, right? This doesn't make any sense. We used to be able to watch this show or that show that was bad, but now we're older and now we can't watch it? Yeah. It is what it is. That's what the Lord has called us to do. This is not holy. This is not pure. This is what the Lord has put as a burden on the heart of your dad. Dad pays the bills in this home. So these are the rules of the home. It's simple. Again, Jacob did this with other grown men. His servants would be married. His servants would have their own kids. And yet he told everyone, we're clearing the idols. We're purifying ourselves. We're turning to the Lord. We're turning to the Lord. Change your garments, change your clothes, change your character. David Guzik, he said, Jacob's family only got right with God after Jacob himself got right with God. Again, dads here, leaders of the home, do you lead by example? Do we lead by example? Are we reading our Bibles? Are we living a pure life? Are we simply telling our wives and our kids, do as I say, but not as I do? Right? We hate that. Or at least I hate that. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're just like, I love a hypocritical boss, right? I just love it. I love it so much, right? Usually we don't. Usually we can't stand it. And yet more often than not, we find ourselves being that hypocritical leader. Saying, hey, do as I say and not as I do. When our leaders and coaches, when they lead us by example, what does it do? It spurs us on. It encourages us. If they can do it, so can I. Right? The kids that want to say, hey, I want to be just like my dad. Do your Dads, do you want to hear that from your sons? Because there's also kids, you guys should know, that say, I don't want to be anything like my dad. Which one do we want? Which one do we strive for? Because there needs to be action for that to actually happen. We don't just dream it. And it happens. No, there needs to be action. We need to be the best spiritual father we can be so that one day our kids would say that. Not just going about life haphazardly and hoping, crossing my fingers, that one day my kids will say that. We need to do our best. And even if they don't like us and if we've been obedient to God, then we stand before God. And we allow God's time to take place. Put away the idols. Purify yourselves and change the garments. We don't see Jacob bringing the idols into the home. We see him being lazy in chapter 34. We see him not standing up for righteousness. But we don't see Jacob himself bringing the idols in the home. Unfortunately, Genesis chapter 31, the one who we see in a sense bringing the idols in a home is his wife. It's the love of his life, Rachel. Genesis chapter 31 Verse 19, now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Verse 34 and 35, now Rachel had taken the household idols. She put them in the camel saddle and she sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women is with me. And he searched but did not find the household idols. Unfortunately, it was Rebecca, the woman he was in love with, the woman that was absolutely beautiful, but yet she was not spiritual. And it's unfortunate, but our children will take the path of least resistance. Why is that? Because I naturally take the path of least resistance. I naturally take whatever is the easiest, right? Someone offers you, hey, you want to work out two hours or one hour? Is there a 30-minute option there, right? Is there something a little shorter? One mile? Can we go like 0.1 mile, right? We look for the shorter option. The doctor says, hey, you got to take this seven times a week. Hey, doc, five? Is there, is there three there? Is there two, right? We start bidding with him. We go for whatever is easiest. And unfortunately, our children, they will follow the path of the least spiritual and the least disciplined parent. That's what's going to happen. This should open our eyes for us if we're single and we're praying about who we're getting married to. Are they super lazy? Because prepárate, your kids, they're going to want to be super lazy too. And if that's something that right, makes you twitch, then maybe you have to really pray and reconsider your options. If they're not spiritual at all and that's important to you, 
Again, get ready, prepare yourself. That is a strong possibility for your kids. And for those of us who are already married, why do we say this? So we can send them the link or give them the teaching, say, hey, listen in at 12 o'clock, right? And listen to what he says. No, that's not why we're saying this. It's for us to know how we can pray for our spouses or for us to be able to look in the mirror and realize, Lord, I'm the one that's not spiritual in the family. Lord, I'm the lazy one. Amanda, she's doing everything, and I'm just the lazy one watching TV, doing nothing, telling my kids to stop wasting so much time playing video games. But yet then I go on the couch, and I just have a different controller in my hand, right? Lord, what's going on? We need to know these things. Our kids, they're going to follow our example. It's just natural. We followed the example of our parents, either followed them, or we ran the exact opposite way of them. We need to know that. We need to live in these truths. We need to put away the idols And we need to purify ourselves. And for most of us, we don't struggle with physical idols, right? Maybe some of you do. Maybe you have your little San Lazaro or you have your St. Mary, right? You have your little bobblehead on your car. Maybe you have that house in front of your house with the lights, right? And Lazaro's hanging out there in your front lawn. Maybe that's what you're struggling with. But for most of us, our idols, it's not a graven image, but it's it's money, Maybe it's nature, maybe it's sex, maybe it's a certain TV show or a certain relationship, right? And all of our lives, all of our focus, attention, money, free time, free thinking, it's consumed with this thing, with this relationship, with this friendship. And it can be a good thing, but if it takes over where God should be, it's become an idol. And what God calls us to do is throw all those things out. Get rid of those things. Purge yourself from those things for a season and see if one day you come to the point where God says, hey, you're mature enough to handle it. For some of us, that day will never come. That day will never happen. We need to give up certain things and we just need to know if I ever go down that road, it's going to be a wildfire. For some of us, it's like that. But we need to get rid of the idols. Parents, we need to be willing to get rid of the idols in our kids' lives. doesn't matter if they're two years old. 12 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, they're living at home, you're paying the rent, you're paying the bills, it's on you. But I used the analogy this morning, if your kids have a grow house in their room and the cops come knocking on your door, you hey, I know nothing about it, right? It's on them. It's all on them. Don't arrest me. It's all on them. No, it's your FPL bill. It's your house. It's your home. It's not going to work. And it's the same for us in our walk with the Lord. We can't get to heaven and say, Lord, I'm not affiliated with this person, Right? I don't know them. It's on them. Their walk's on you. No, parents, it's on us. Dads, it's on us. Moms, it's on you. We need to be that spiritual example. We need to get rid of the idols, and then we need to purify ourselves. We need to ask, Lord, would you come into the home? Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, would you cleanse me? Throwing away things, get rid of things. And the third thing is to change your garments. Now, I don't know if Jacob's kids were wearing some weird things or something like that, right? But in Jude chapter 1, Jude only has one chapter, but in Jude 1, verse 20 through 23, it tells us, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Again, for us, we need to be building up on our faith, praying to the Holy Spirit, being built up in the love of God and the mercy of God. We need to have compassion on some. Some people, the way they learn Christ is just through love, through agape love, and people are broken by it. But on others... Sometimes they need tough love, right? It needs to be through fear, through warning. Every kid is different. You learn that as a parent. You have one kid and the second kid is born. Wow, they're complete opposites. Then the third kid is born. How are there three opposites, right? How is this possible? And each of us, we're different. Some of us, we work great with love. Some of us, we need la chancleta, right? We need it. We need the whip. That's all we need. That's the only way we learn. And we need to what? Hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. That garment that it's talking about is our conduct. It's our character. And any part of our character, any part of our conduct that is fleshly, we have to hate it. 
And parents, it's not sinful to say that we should hate the fleshly characteristics in our kids. We're not just supposed to love our kids as I love every part of them. I love how they lie to me. I love how they steal from my wallet. It's so cute, right? No, you're allowed to hate those sinful parts in your kids. But we need to react in love or in discipline, sometimes in both. Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us here's Paul, same idea here on what we're taking off when it talks about taking off those garments, changing those garments. Ephesians chapter 4, this was a church that Paul loved, he adored. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, Paul tells them, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, we need to live our lives in what we've learned from Jesus Christ. And learning from Christ Jesus. And now we need to put off that old man. We need to put off that old way that we used to live. And there's going to be a battle with it, but we need to get rid of him. Are you fighting with your old man, right? Not your dad, not your parents, but are you fighting with that old man within you? That you're putting him up saying, hey, I'm not supposed to live like this anymore. I have a new character. I'm not bound by that same conduct that I used to be. This is what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian. Again, we're not saved through good works, but we're saved for good works. you got to believe it, family. If there's not good fruit in your life, if there's not good conduct in your life, if there's not godly conduct in your life, you're living in that question mark that we've been looking at in Hebrews. Are you saved or not saved? That's between you and the Lord, right? You're not acting like it. You're not looking like it. Oh, pre-saved, not saved, half-saved, reprobate. I don't know, man. That we know once we get to heaven. All I know is abide. Do the work. Do the good works that he has set up for you. This is the way we need to live. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Family, are we praying? Are we begging with the Lord? Lord, create in me a new heart, a clean heart. Lord, this isn't a restoration project where you take this rusted piece of metal and you clean it up and you shine it up and now it's amazing no lord there's nothing good in me there is nothing to salvage lord if you don't put that new heart in me psalm 51 i'm done for psalm 119 how does a young man cleanse his way it's by hearing and heeding the word of god are we listening to teachings are we listening to the word of god or is that at the back of the to-do list i pray during the season you've been uh honest with yourself right some of us, we thought, all I need is more free time and I'll seek the Lord more than ever, right? All I need is, I just need things to calm down and then I'll focus on what's important. And for some of us, we've had more free time than ever and we've wasted it away watching random things on Netflix we never thought we would watch, right? Others of us, we've been given a season where things are slower, but instead of focusing on the Lord or on our family, we're just focusing on business more or on the news more or fixing things around the house. Family, we need to really give ourselves wholly to the Lord and allow him to change our hearts and be taking in his word to renew our minds. And we're blessed. We're spoiled at the tools we have. Again, those phones we have, the computers we have, the internet, it's just a huge tool. It's either a good tool or a bad tool, right? When you work, we usually listen to things. We listen to music. That could be hours where you're taking in Bible study or you're taking in the word of God or it could be hours when you're taking in just garbage and trash. That's not important. Redeem the time. We have to get rid of anything that we spend more time on than Christ himself. We must come to him to purify us and we must allow him to change our character and then we need to press on in the pursuit of holiness. We need to press on. The Lord, he's not just going to carry us in a cloud of good works. No, you have to put in the work. You have to put it in. Just because you get the recipe, right, doesn't mean you're going to cook something perfectly. Just because your doctor gives you what you need to do doesn't just mean it's going to magically appear. You have to do the hard thing. You have to put in the hard work. Verse 3, Genesis 35. Then he tells the family, 
Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I, right, he's the priest of the home, I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. So again, thank the Lord, praise the Lord, everybody was in. The whole family gave up their idols. But are we asking? Are we willing to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? This reminds me when Abraham, right, the Lord comes, he speaks to Abraham, he has people, he has servants, and God says, okay, the way I know that our promise is connected is that you're going to circumcise yourself and your whole entire family. So guess what Abraham had to go into all his servants? God knew news, guys. We follow someone new, we follow God, so now we all have to get circumcised. Grown men, married, unmarried, didn't matter. This is what the Lord had for Abraham and his household. So again, thank the Lord. They all down with it. They all give up their idols. They all give it up. And then he reminds them, hey, this is the God who answered me in the day of my distress. I don't know if you ever had that day where you were just crying and pleading for help with God. I think each of us, if we've ever been a student, we've been there at least once, right? God, I did not study for this test, Lord. But I know who you are, and if you help me pass this thing, I promise I will never not study for a test again, right? I devote my whole life to you if you help me pass this final, right? And then by some miracle we do it, or maybe he gives us the hard path and we don't do it, right? But are we keeping our end of the deal? Are we keeping our end of the bargain? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, you can just write it down. It tells us when you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Verse 5, it goes even deeper. It says, if you are not going to pay that vow, don't even make it. It's better if you don't even make that promise unless you really mean it. So again, family, do you remember when God came in and saved you during that day of distress? Did you make any promises? Have you made promises to God at at a retreat, at a couple's retreat, at Headwaters, at the ranch, at Bonita? Here at the church, have you made promises to God? Are we keeping those promises? Or are we being a liar, right? Are we saying, Lord, you bless me, you please me, you do everything I want, and then I'll do whatever I want, right? Are we being obedient to what we said we would give him? The next question is, do you remember when God came in and saved you during your day of distress? Is there any gratitude in you? It's so sad. Sometimes you see a marriage that's about to fall apart They're begging, they're pleading with God, they come to every service, they come, they get counsel, the marriage gets good again, and then they just stop going to church. Parents that they can't have kids, they're begging, they're pleading with God, they're praying, they're fasting, they have one kid, the Lord blesses them with the second kid, and then they stop going to church because there's football practice or baseball practice, and then it wipes out out of control, right? If we give to God what's God, especially when he has shown himself strong on our behalf, Luke chapter 7, verse 47, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, he says, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Jesus goes on to say, he who is forgiven much, loves much. Family, how much have you been forgiven? Do you think that you were 99.9% saved and then Jesus just dropped that cherry on top and you got into heaven? Or do you realize you were dead in your sins? You did nothing to deserve this relationship and friendship with God. So the rest of my life, the rest of our lives is trying to show gratitude to God for what he has done for us. Is there that gratitude within us that he saved us, the marriages we have, the kids we have, the family we have, the church we have? Is there any gratitude? And I warn you guys, if we think that we're better than other people, if we think that we're better than other Christians, what you're revealing is that you don't think you've been forgiven much. You think you've been forgiven less than a person X, Y, or Z. And that's a prideful and hypocritical place to be. We're all sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. So may we be careful not to think that we are holier or better than anyone else because we do X, Y, or Z. Verse 4 It tells us, so they gave Jacob their foreign gods, right? Everybody was on par. They gave their earrings. Verse 5, then they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue them, the sons of Jacob. 
Again, God, he protected them. And he struck fear in the hearts of all the cities around them. In chapter 34, the only thing that Jacob was concerned with, with his daughter and what happened with her and with his sons and what happened with them, was himself. He was just concerned that the people around them were going to get mad. They were going to create an army and they were going to come against him. And yet when he turned to God, God protected him. And that's the same thing for us. If you're in a hard place, you're in a fearful place, turn to the Lord. You may still have to go through the consequences that you've sown. You may still have to reap it. But the Lord will protect you. He will be with you. He will guide you. 6 through 7, it tells us, So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, again, Jacob, he's not speaking Spanish here. It's not El Bethel, right? That's not what's happening here. What this means is that he came to the God of Bethel. That's all it means. El, it means the God of Bethel. So now what the full translation of this is, is that he built an altar and he called that place the God of the house of God. And family, it's the same for us. We need to not only come to church or come back to church, whether it's online or whether in person, but we need to come back to the God of the church, right? We can be hypocritical. We can come once a week and say, God, that's good enough, right? God, that's good enough. I came once a week and everything's okay. I can live however I want the rest of the six days and 22 hours. God, you're okay. We need to come back to the Lord and we need to come back to church. It's biblical. This is what the Lord has set up for us. Again, whether it's through the internet for you or whether it's in person here. But we need to turn back to God. We need to say, Lord, forgive me. During this season, I've squandered it. I haven't grown with you. I haven't matured with you. I've been wasting time. I've been giving into my flesh. I've been struggling more than ever before. Lord, I've isolated myself. I've used this as just a lie to just isolate me and my family. And now we're struggling and it's all my fault. Hey, turn back to the Lord. Jacob, he had to arise and return to the God of the house of God. And now in verse 8, what we see here is just because you're right with God does not mean your life is going to be perfect. I don't know if someone has ever told you that, right? You've ever heard that? Come to God and your life is going to be perfect. It's going to be floating on a cloud. Everything's going to be good. No harm is going to happen to you. You're going to be super rich because Abraham was super rich. Verse 8. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakath. And that name, it means the oak of weeping. And this woman, Deborah, uh, some of us in Hispanic culture, we have that, right? We have that primo or that prima that you say, hey, how are they related to you? And you sit there and you think, oh, they're not really related. No, 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 but they're my primo, right? How, that's my uncle. How are they related? Whose brother? Whose sister? They're, you know, they're, just, they're just family, right? They're just family. And that's who Deborah is. Re- Deborah was Rebecca's nurse. Deborah was Rebecca's handmaiden. So many scholars believe Deborah was the woman who really raised Jacob. Right? If you ever had that godmother that really raised you or that aunt or that grandmother, that special person in your life that they were more apparent to you than your own parents, that's who Deborah was for Jacob. Lord, what's going on? I came to you, I cleaned house in my family, and this is the first thing that happens? Are you mad at me? Do you hate me? Sometimes we ask those questions, but what God is really trying to do is he's trying to shore up our foundation before we go through the trial. That's what God's trying to do. He's saying, hey, man, you need to turn to me because if not, when this trial hits, you're going to just collapse. You're just going to fall apart. Again, righteousness and a relationship with God does not make us exempt from trial. It does not make us exempt from dealing with death. A hundred out of a hundred people die, right? Christian, not Christian, everyone passes away. And each of us will have to go through that difficult season in life. Verse 9 through 12, it tells us, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation 
and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. Again, God, he's a God of second chances. He doesn't hold back from Jacob. He doesn't say, hey, bro, we already wrestled. We already fought. We already went through this. I changed your name. You're no longer that fleshly guy. You weren't obedient, right? You get half the blessing. You get half the benefits. No, the Lord reminds him again, hey, I told you. You're not governed by your own conduct. That old man, that old woman is dead. Now you're living free in Christ. You don't have to sin. You don't have to obey the enemy. Now you're free in Christ. And he reminds them who he is. Hey, I am God the Almighty. I'm on your side. I want to fight for you. I want to create an amazing nation and family in you. That through this really messed up individual, the Lord will one day have King David come One day he'll have Jesus Christ be born to free us and save us from our sins and death. And it's through who? It's through heel catcher. It's through the con man that the Lord takes his life. He saves him and now he's governed by God. Verse 13 through 15, then God went up from him in that place where he talked with him. So Jacob, he set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it. And he poured oil out on it, and Jacob called the name of that place where God spoke with him, Bethel. And family, sometimes we've grown in our walk with the Lord, or some years have gone by, and we look back and we think, I have grown so much. We look back and think, man, I was so naive. We look back and we're almost disgusted at the way we used to follow the Lord or seek the Lord when we first knew him. We think we were so naive, all the highlighters, all the pencils. We were willing to do all these crazy things. I can't believe I went to Dulos or camp, right? What was I thinking? I used to do all these things for God. And we can look down on it. Now I'm so much more wise. Now I know so much more scripture. Now I ascribe to this theologian and that theologian. I was such a dummy back then. And yet the Lord, I believe, he misses those days sometimes. The Lord misses the days when you would spend hours with him and his word and not just some theologian's book or some teaching on YouTube. The days when we were open and willing to take crazy steps for the Lord. He misses those days. Now we're so calculated and worried about the outcome, the economy, the family, that we're no longer willing to take any steps for God. And I think God, he misses those days within a lot of us. Has your spouse ever told you that? Right? What happened to you? When we were dating, when we were courting, you would drive 20 hours in the rain, sleet, and snow. Now I ask you to go to Sedano's for me, and you start crying, right? You blow a gasket. What has happened to you? My mom used to take care of her and do everything for her. Now we're married, and you can't stand her, right? You only talk terrible about her. Is that happening in your marriage? Is that happening in your relationships? Because I think the Lord, for many of us, He says, hey, what's happened to you, man? You were willing to give up everything for me. You were willing to serve me. You were willing to give up your summers. You were willing to give up your kids for me. And now what's happened? Now because I've given you blessing, now because you have a wife and a family and kids and cattle and a house and a car and a boat and a vacation house, now you've forgotten about me? Now we can't talk? Now there's no risk you're willing to take for me? We got to pray. We got to really seek the Lord and say, Lord, Have I forgotten about you and all the blessing you've given me? Because Jacob, that's what happened with him. But now he gets back to the place where he begins to talk with God once again. And now the places where he builds the altars and all the things that are most important to him is when he talks with God and his own family. Verse 16, Jacob, he still has more hard things on the way. Verse 16, then they journeyed from Bethel and where there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Again, this is Moses writing the book of Genesis. And 
These are real people. We can read this book, and we, sometimes we think it's just a storybook. Sometimes we think it's just like our kid's pop-up book, right? This lady lived in a shoe with a bunch of kids, and here's Jacob and Rachel. But these are real people. This is a real husband that has just lost, really, the wife that he loved more than anyone else in the midst of childbirth. Lord, what's going on? God, I just gave you everything. I cleared house, and now this is happening? What is happening But family, it's far greater to have a good and right relationship with God going through difficulty and turmoil than not having that walk with God, going through difficulty and turmoil, and now trying to figure out your walk and your relationship with God. As Rachel's passing away, she calls him Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. Jacob says, no, man, he's going to be called Benjamin, which is the son of the right hand. I think he saved him, right? First day in kindergarten. What's your name? Son of sorrow. How do you get that name, right? Terrible first day for that kid. Uh, but, hey, Jacob saves him. Calls him, hey, son of the right hand. And I believe this is how the Lord sees us sometimes. Sometimes we think I've done too much evil for the Lord. I've backstabbed him too many times. I've fallen too many times. I keep saying I'm going to do it. And then I never do it. I'm, I'm just a son of sorrow to him. I'm just a daughter of sorrow. I am more trouble than I am good to the Lord. And the Lord looks at us and he goes, no, no, you're my favorite. You're the son or daughter of my right hand. May we remember that. The Lord loves us so much. Verse 21 through 22, then Israel journeyed, right, when you thought enough was enough. He pitches his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and he laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. We don't know why this happened. We don't know if Reuben was simply trying to assert his dominance in the family or if he was trying to take over. Or if him and Bilhah simply lusted after each other and fell into this horrific sin. But we do know that Jacob or Israel would take away the birthright from Reuben. And he would simply call him unstable. In Genesis 49, verse 3 and 4, you don't have to turn there. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and excellency of power, unstable as water. You shall not excel. And that's a good question for us, family. Are we unstable, right? In this season of turmoil, have we shown ourselves to be unstable? End of verse 22, now it tells us all the kids, this family. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Judah, Levi, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpha, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. And these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And this is the messed up, jacked up, Brady bunch of a family where God would name the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, God, he loves to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. He loves to take the ashes and turn it for beauty. Why did the Lord use such a messed up family? Because he's willing to use my messed up family. He's willing to use your messed up family. Verse 27 through 29. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac and Mamre, or Kerjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abram and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob, they buried him. And this is sad. It's not sad because he lived to be 180. Maybe that's sad to you. Oh, but that's not the reason this is sad. This is sad because it was 50 years ago where Isaac freaked out. And he said, hey, I'm about to die. Right? I feel something I've never felt before. I'm about to die. This is the one. And now what he does in his fear is he tries to get Esau. And he's disobedient to the Lord. And he says, Esau, you come away with me in secret. And I'm going to give you the birthright. And the day since Isaac made that decision out of fear and going against the will of God, we've gotten all this insanity. We've gotten all this craziness. And again, the Lord is willing to use it. But for us as parents, as priests of the home, as believers, may we not make decisions in fear. Fear, 
And may we not make decisions out of the will of God because it's going to cost us. It's going to cost our family. For Jacob, he never got to see his mom again. The last time he spent with his mom was lying and tricking his blind dad that thought that he was on his deathbed. That would be the last moments that he would spend with his mom. So again, family, our decisions, they always have a cost to them. So when we make decisions, single, married, grandparents, hey, be careful and pray. 50 years ago, he was afraid, saying, I'm about to die. He lives another 50 years. The blessing, the joy here is we see Esau and Jacob once again, these two twin brothers that couldn't be any more different. We see them together once again at the side of their dad. Some Bible scholars believe that Jacob, he got to spend the last 10 years with his dad. But family, all this to say, if the Lord has convicted you or spoken to you, that you are not spending time with the God of the house of God. Maybe you're convicted that you haven't been spending time in the house of God, that you've treated the services like background noise, or you haven't really had a hunger or desire to come back at church. Be reminded, be comforted. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 This is Jesus speaking to the church. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember where you've fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place unless you repent. Family, just like Jacob, we need to rise up and get back to spending time with the God of the house of God. We need to rise up and get back to going to church, focusing on church, going back through God's word. And again, it's different for some of us. Some of us, our immune systems are more compromised. We have all our different, this, all our things going on. By hook or by crook, we need to grow with the Lord. We need to spend more time with God. I don't think any of us here can say, yes, I fulfilled my quota and spending time with God, right? I'm good. I did perfect this week, right? Hopefully none of us here are willing to say that. And I do, I pray. In Acts 2, 42, 43, the rest of the chapter, you see a renewed love in these believers for the word of God, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for going house to house, fellowshipping with other believers and being with other people. But may we have that renewed love in our heart for God, for his word, but for one another. For the church of God, not just family members, not just our own blood and our own family. Because then what do the people do here that are all alone? No one in the church is going to care for them. No one in the church is going to invite them over or love on them. Again, we need to go back to the days when we loved God and his word and we loved the people around us. We were willing to spend time with them. We were willing to break bread with them. We need that renewed passion within us to love the Lord more and be loving and excited to get back to his house.